Hello, this is the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Cranson. Today, I'm going to be talking first about the Lafayette Avenue Bridge in Bay City, which everybody knows is in poor condition. You can see rebar through the worn pavement and the concrete on the sidewalks is crumbling. And MDOT had hoped to replace the bridge as far back as 2019, but had to delay it because of projected costs increasing. So I'm gonna talk about that in the context of other bridges on the, the system and what the needs are with Becky Curtis, who is the director of MDOT's Bureau of Bridges and Structures. And I want to apologize to listeners for any noise they hear in the background. There's some renovations going on at the Van Wagner building in Lansing. So uh, that will explain if you hear any pounding or drilling or anything. Later, I'm going to talk to Niles Annalyn in the Bureau of Planning at MDOT. He has a great familiarity with the broader IIJA Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act federal grant process and what else MDOT has received and is, is looking for. So first, we're going to talk with Becky. Becky, thanks for being here. Oh, always happy to be here and talk about bridges. So first, a question that is not germane to the Lafayette, Lafayette Avenue Bridge alone, but something I've always wondered. And I kind of know a little bit about this because I've researched it, but I think that the general layman probably doesn't. And it's common sense to you. But why do bridges freeze before roads? Well, the, you know, the bridges... Um are suspended in the air. And so they don't have um, that ground heat uh, to keep the, you know, they're not, they're not having any of that germal, geothermal effect of the ground under them. And so um, they freeze first. So it's that simple. As far as I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back to the, the theme of this episode, uh, MDOT applied for $73 million in federal grants for this bridge specifically, the Lafayette Avenue Bridge, um, and that's what the U.S. DOT granted. So what do you think captured the federal grant maker's attention? And I know that's just speculation. Well, um, there are actually really specific criteria that we had to meet uh, to um, apply for the grant. And so we did screen our inventory to see which of our projects best met the um, intention of the um, notice the funding opportunity that Federal Highway put out. And uh, we felt that the Lafayette Bridge Grant met, um, strongly met actually, all six criteria. And it looked like the USDOT agreed with us because we were awarded um, the $73 million. And, and that was the maximum um, that was eligible for this particular project. So it was about 80% of the um, construction costs. So... Where does that uh, total cost stand now? I guess if that's 80%, that tells us it's in the 90 million range. Um, it's, is MDAP able to make up the difference? We are. We are. Um, you mentioned, you know, that this project had been delayed. And when, when we first started looking at it at the scoping stage, um, you know, original estimates were probably closer to about $45, 46000000 million when we, when we decided um, to do the replacement. Um, it's a complicated project. We did, um, you know, we worked with the CMGC in order to do the design of it because bascule bridges are um, 
significantly more complex than your standard freeway interchange would be. And um, through that process, you know, the economy changed, bridge costs started going up. Um, our, our bridge replacement costs have doubled since 2018. And so towards the end of the project, we were seeing these large spike in, in costs and, um, and the estimates started coming in more in the $90 million range. And that's when we realized we needed to um, put a pause on the project. We needed to evaluate what we could do um, for cost savings. And we needed to figure out how to come up with a funding mechanism to still deliver this, you know, this project that was going to be really important to maintaining uh, mobility in that area. So I got to throw up the engineering term flag here on CMGC. Can you uh, explain what that is and why it makes sense for this kind of project? Sure, that's um, construction manager, general contractor, I believe would be the spelling out the acronym. Um, why it makes sense in this project is we do a um, still a competitive selection um, for finding a contractor who's willing to work with us during the design phase. And they then can bring in um, information on what equipment is available, um, how they might construct the bridge, and that can inform the design. Um, and so in sort of a collaborative method, um, we work with the contractor to come up with the most efficient structure that's going to meet our needs um, as an owner and that is going to be able to be delivered you know, safely and efficiently by the contractor. Um, at the end of the process, we, you know, had that um, significant cost increase, and so we did end up, you know, deferring and and reevaluating, um, and that's where we're at now. Um, you talked about it being near the end of its service life, or you have in the past anyway. Um, it's 85 years old. That seems like definitely beyond the, the service life. Where does this fit, I guess, in comparison to other bridges in the state system and and age and priority? Sure. So it is um, our second oldest movable bridge. Uh, MDOT maintains 12 movable bridges and, and Lafayette is the second oldest. Um, these movable bridges compared to our um, our standard structures are, of course, extremely expensive because you're not just talking about building a bridge to span um, a, you know, a distance of some nature, but you're also needing that bridge to open and you need that bridge to open reliably. And so now you're taking a giant structure that's heavy and strong enough to carry, you know, full MDOT legal loads. Um, this this bridge carries uh, sugar beets, um, so full sugar beet trucks to the sugar beet factory on a routine basis. Um, it has to then be able to open and have all that expensive machinery uh, to open reliably. And that's that's actually one of the biggest concerns with this bridge, that the, the machinery was aging to the point where the reliability of the structure was, was reduced and it needed to be um, replaced. So... Um, so this really expensive bridge we, is part of our big bridge inventory. We have 55 bridges in our big bridge inventory. These are um, large deck bridges, so greater than 100,000 square feet. They're um, unique or complex, or you know they're one of the movable bridges. MDOT maintains those bridges, and we try to keep them in good or fair condition, uh, mostly because they're probably too expensive to replace. Um, and so those those bridges can easily be um, 10 to 15 times um, the cost of our standard bridge. Um, 
And then, of course, when you look at our overall inventory, we've we've got around 4,500 um, bridges that meet the definition of a, of a bridge according to the federal government. So that's greater than 20 feet in span length. 26% of those are in good condition. So that's great. But 67% are in fair condition. And, and that's an issue because those are um, maintenance and rehabilitation needs that if we can't get to, they're going to fall into poor condition. Um, poor condition bridges, uh, which we have about 7% right now, those are um, generally turned into replacement candidates instead of rehabilitation. And the problem there, while 7% doesn't seem like a big number, replacements are 400% more than a, a rehabilitation project. And so, you know, it's really critical that we have the right amount of funding to be able to do those cheaper rehabilitation projects at the right time, um, because frankly, we can't afford to be a replacement only program. When you talk about being the second oldest movable bridge, we've had a lot of problems both in Grand Haven and in Charlevoix with the, I think it's mostly the machinery, the up and down machinery. Um, what do you think is the prognosis for the for those two bridges? So we have a, a team that meets to talk about all of our movable bridges, and um, we really try to attack it with a, a combination of maintenance and larger capital projects. Um, so we don't have to go to that full replacement because, like I've mentioned, it's it's very expensive. Um, and so with that big bridge program, we are investing in doing those maintenance and operation projects. Um, Sometimes once every five years, but definitely every 10 years we're going in there um, and it could include full um, replacement of the equipment. So for both of those structures, um, right now we think that through um, either significant work on the equipment or, um, you know, in combination with minor structural repairs in the structure that we are able at this point to to continue operating them. Um, but, you know, when you start looking at bridges with a hundred year lifespan, let's say, you know, out into the future is when we need to start planning, um, you know, when we would be replacing each bridge and, and how we're really going to afford these large one-time costs. So on top of just being a newer bridge that's going to be more reliable, both in terms of uh, the operational machinery and in terms of the, the bridge deck. And I know it was it was considered scour critical, so obviously things will be shored up in terms of how it interacts with the, the water. Um, but it'll also include a shared use path and, and a sidewalk. Um, so it's just going to be better all the way around for the people who use it, right? Yeah, um, Lafayette makes a lot of, this project makes a lot of improvements, um, both for, you know, the motoring public, because we're going to have more reliable um, operation of the structure. It's going to be closed um, less frequently. Um, but also, there's safer pedestrian and bicycle access across the Saginaw River, um, not only on the, you know, we're upgrading the railings to be the height needed for bicycles, but also um, the intersection is being redone and that's going to um, allow for better access. The This bridge connects um, Bay City to the um, Middle Ground Island, which is the home of the Boys and Girls Club um, and the Bay City Rowing Club and Nine Acre Bigelow Park. And so um, there is a lot of need for the pedestrian and bicycle access at this location. Yeah. And, you know, every time you do one of these, you can take a look at things that needs that maybe didn't seem 
just weren't necessary uh, 85 years ago or, you know, people weren't thinking about. So that's that's always a good part of this. Um, what do you think going forward with, you know, more money still in the IAGA pool for grants? Do do uh, does your bureau have any outstanding applications out there or was this really the biggest one for a while? This was the biggest one um, that we'd submitted um, this year. And we're going to look, we have a couple of other large bridges that are um, possibly going to be entering into the program towards the end of the um, of the grant application cycle. But um, I guess getting into the weeds maybe a little bit, one of the challenges of a grant program is that they would like a project um, that's near to construction. And it's hard as an owner to um, work towards building a new project that may, might be necessary, but with uncertain funding. So when we get formula program dollars, we're able to you know, review our inventory for, for many of the same criteria that's in this grant application, um, decide what project um, is the most appropriate you know, based on the funding that we're given, and then go forward, do the design, get close to construction, and, and deliver the project. When you're talking about a grant application, um, that funding's uncertain. We don't know if we're going to get the rest of the funding. And so um, there's kind of a, a gamble that needs to be taken of, are you able to fund this if you don't get the grant? Um, or are you 100% reliant on, on getting a grant of which, um, you know, there were not very many grants given out across the country for this round of bridge grants. Um, and so we were lucky enough to get one. Um, somewhat lucky and somewhat deserving, like I said, because we did try to select a project that met all of the criteria, but it makes it challenging for us to count on that in the future because we don't know what other projects across the nation are being submitted at the same time. Yeah, Lafayette Bridge definitely met a lot of the criteria I read through that you had um, you had laid out for federal officials and everything seemed to line up really well on this one. So, uh, congratulations. This is a good thing, you know, one bridge at a time, I guess. Um, anything else you want to add to the understanding of this? Oh, well, the bridge is going to, um, it is a long process for these movable bridges. There's a lot of parts to order. And so, um, the, I believe we're planning on a letting later in this fiscal year and, um, construction won't be finished though until, um, 2026. Yeah, good for you. The timeline is important, and I forgot to ask about that. So, yes, managing expectations. Right. <laughs> we got the money, but it is going to take a little while to deliver the project. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, thank you, Becky. Very helpful, as always. Yeah, thanks. Have a great day. You too. So, I'll be back in just a minute with the second guest on this week's episode, Niles Anlin, who is a policy section manager in the Bureau of Planning at MDOT. Did you know that most work zone crashes are caused by inattentive motorists? It only takes a split second of distraction to dramatically change lives forever. The Michigan Department of Transportation reminds you to slow down, follow all signs, and pay attention when driving through work zones. Because all employees deserve a safe place to work. Work zone safety. We're all in this together. We're back with Niles Anlin, who is a policy section manager in the Bureau of Transportation, in the Bureau of Planning 
at the Department of Transportation. Niles has been uh, working on a number of things involving these grant programs. In fact, that's not all he does. He has a pretty broad portfolio. But I've asked him today just to kind of put in context what I talked about earlier with Becky in terms of the $73 million grant for the Lafayette Avenue Bridge in Bay City about others that MDOT has won because uh, these have been spaced out and it's easy to, to forget about them. So, Niles, thank you for taking time to be here. Yeah, thank you. And could you just kind of run through, um, you know, the 260 some million dollars in grants that MDOT has won so far? Yeah. So since the beginning of the IAJA, we've actually been very successful in uh, receiving grants that we've uh, uh, been applying for. Since 2001, as you alluded to, we've uh, been awarded almost $267 million in grants. Uh, these grants range from uh, rail grants to help enhance Michigan's rural economy, um, work zone safety grants uh, to incorporate um emerging technology into uh, work zones to help protect our um, our people uh, working on the on the projects. Uh, we also have received um, a considerable grant for improvements to the Detroit New Center intermodal facility. Um, not to mention the um, Lafayette Bridge, but one of our other biggest uh, grants that we've received is uh, the I-375 Improvement and Community Reconstruction Project. That was funded at um, almost $105 million, which uh, goes a long way towards getting us towards our goals there. Uh, we were also very uh, happy to receive a Reconnecting Community Grant, uh, which is uh, focused on bridging I-696 in Oak Park. This is a uh, opportunity to rebuild or retrofit a pedestrian plaza connecting uh, two communities in the Oak Park area. Um, in addition to that, uh, we've also been receiving um, another rail-related grant uh, referred to as the Michigan Accelerated Rail Bridge Construction Project to, again, help uh, make improvements to uh, rail facilities across the state. So that's just kind of the high-level list of some of the real uh, interesting uh, grants that we've received. Um, the process for getting these grants uh, has been a steep learning curve uh, since the passage of the new legislation, but uh, I think we're, we're making good headway. Now, so let's let's talk about that that process and and what have you learned along the way? I mean, this was a uh, uh, the money was kind of thrown out there, and you guys were told, okay, there's this criteria, and go go ahead, DOTs, make your applications. And um, we've been through a lot of different federal programs over the years um, with federal grants, and um, had you know more success other years than others, obviously. But this one seems to have really struck at a right time. Yeah, yeah. So you're right. There was a lot to um, unravel and try to understand in a very short amount of time on how to best be effective with these um, with these discretionary grant programs that have come out of the new uh, funding uh, um, funding bill. But what we've learned is um, it all really begins with the NOFO, or what is commonly referred to as the NOFO, which is the Notice of Funding Opportunity. Um, this really is the uh, blueprint and instructions for how to put together successful grant applications. Um, it is crucially important that any entity that is looking to submit an application to one of these programs really review and carefully understand the, um, the intent of the program and the um, criteria that the federal government is looking for specifically for these, uh, these grant opportunities. 
So at MDOT, our grants coordinator and others will, again, closely review those NOFOs, summarize it, share it with our regions or other business areas that might be, that we determine might be eligible uh, or have projects that would be eligible for the various grant opportunities, um, and then ask them to work with us to put together a list of potential um, potential projects. Uh, we just kind of do a quick little uh, assessment based on our understanding of the grant opportunity and uh, then leave it to our executive team. Uh, so once the list of potential projects is approved by executive our executive team, that's when the real work begins. That's when the project managers and grant coordinators really dig in and um, again use that NOFO or funding opportunity uh, as the guide for developing a successful application, which as we previously mentioned, we've had several um, several big successes in this program. I think there there's discussion of how much uh, money is available or could come Michigan's way between, you know, when this all started in 2022 and 2026. So, I mean, do you feel like there's still a lot that we can look forward to in terms of other grant possibilities? I think they talked about Michigan getting, you know, upwards of $11 billion between those, those years that I talked about. So. Yeah, I think there's still great opportunity now that we generally know what the um, various uh, grant opportunities are. We are starting to be proactive and look at look at future years and future projects uh, that we have um, coming down the the pipeline, and are really trying to identify, looking into the future, looking into 2023, looking into 24, what projects might be eligible for these grant opportunities. Again, as a way to be more proactive in um, selecting selecting projects that we think are good candidates for this uh, federal funding. And then there's the whole issue of setting expectations, right, that we've been in a decades-long funding crisis. Uh, we're finding out recently that our grade from the American Society of Civil Engineers uh, for roads has improved very slightly, and that's because of $3.5 billion in rebuilding Michigan money that we were able to pour into the state system. Uh, that isn't going to solve the problem long-term in neither of these grants, right? So you guys and your your division and policy are are still looking at uh, at you know how can we manage what we're doing and is that a concern of yours I guess that people are going to think these grants are going to you know help us get out of the hole we're in. Um, yeah, you know, and that's correct because often we you know we say we have success in receiving funding for these grants, but it's often not the total project cost. So that is uh, another hurdle that we're definitely trying to. Um, try to manage on on MDOT's end on our end is, you know, okay, so we receive 70% of the cost for a project. Do we have the remaining 30%? Uh, percent? And when we apply for these projects, we always make sure we do, but it does kind of create a strain. Um, again, not knowing which projects will be funded at which point, um, there's a lot of juggling and um, coordination that needs to be done to make sure that if we get an award, we can um, continue to use it. But again, as you said, it's not going to solve all of our problems. It's really just um, helping us um, make small steps towards uh, fixing our um, fixing our infrastructure. Is there anything more you want to say about the criteria and uh, how you go through it and make those decisions? Yeah, so one of the main and I think exciting parts of the IAJA was an increased focus on um, uh, some new new criteria that wasn't always a focus of transportation projects in the past. Obviously, safety is still the pri primary uh, selection criteria, but a lot of these new programs are coming forward with um, requests that we focus on 
highlighting the benefits of any any grant application to the benefits of uh, being resilient to climate change, uh, protecting the environment, um, having an equity focus and looking towards multimodal opportunities. And again, um, making sure that the economics of the projects make sense, um, you know, how it impacts freight, how it does, how it helps job creation and um, continued um, economic and economic opportunity for the state of Michigan. Um, and they also want us to look for areas of innovation. So again, it's, it's, an exciting and it's exciting direction and it's uh, interesting to look at projects and try to figure out how how best we can select uh, um, projects to meet those criteria. Yeah, and, and you know it's it's exciting and you're learning a lot along the way, but at the same time you feel like uh, you know the proverbial fire hose, right? So yeah. Um, well, well, thanks, Niles. Is there anything else you want to add about uh, about what you're doing in terms of applying for these grants and making sure yeah. you check the boxes? Yeah, no, I would just um, highlight that there's a lot of opportunity out there and we are doing um, everything we can to um, take advantage of that opportunity and make sure that uh, we don't miss um, don't miss a chance to receive some of these federal fundings. It is or some of these federal funds. It is a it is a great opportunity for us to um, help bolster our system. Yeah, very good. OK, thank you, Niles. All right. Thank you. So I want to thank my guests again today, uh, Niles Anilin, who you just heard from MDOT's Bureau of Planning, talking about the IAJA grants and what the opportunities are there. And then earlier, Becky Curtis, who's the director of the uh, Bureau of Bridges and Structures at MDOT, talked about the one specific grant, a big one, $73 million for the Lafayette Avenue Bridge. I'd like to thank you once more for tuning in to Talking Michigan Transportation. You can find show notes and more on Apple Podcasts or Buzzsprout. I also want to acknowledge the talented people who help make this a reality each week, starting with Randy Debler, who skillfully edits the audio, Jesse Ball, who proofs the content, Courtney Bates, who posts the podcast to various platforms, and Jackie Salinas, who transcribes the audio to make it accessible to all. 